A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I love directly answering listeners' questions. So I'd like to thank Sarah who inspired this episode. She filled out the listener survey and asked some highly pertinent questions about ETFs. Sarah, we'll tackle your questions in this episode. Thanks for your contribution. For more ETF info, check out earlier episodes featuring Kanesh Chug and Robin Bauman. So for this episode, I approached Steve Bull from ETF Watch to deal with these and other questions and chat all things ETF and LIC. Now, Steve, you're the founder and managing director of ETF Watch. Now, ETF Watch is a website and it's an information source for ETF and LIC investors. It has a searchable fund database, a blog and a news feed. There's a rapidly growing group of investors and financial advisors who are using ETF Watch as their primary ETF and LIC information source. Now, that's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, over to you, Steve. How did you get started in this business? So I've been uh, in the in and around the industry for about um, 15 years now in the wealth management space. Started as a graduate at one of the big banks. Um, actually started kind of a couple of years before the GFC, probably about 2005 I started my career. So it was a really interesting uh, time to sort of start my career when in, in hindsight where to, if you look back at um, the charts for the equity markets back in that 2005, six, early seven period. Is that when you started in that uh, time, pe- yeah, time period? That yeah, was, that was about when I started my career. And everything was just everything zooming up. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was yeah. just um, leverage, people taking on margin loans and all sort of sorts of risky loans just to get as much money as they could in the market because markets were never going to go down. And then in 2007, the, um, the Howard government at the time with Peter Costello as the treasurer, introduced these super reforms where people could, you know, they made super, they called it simpler super, and they made super tax-free for retirees and brought in all of these big changes. But one of the things they brought in was an ability to contribute up to a million dollars in super as a one-off between May 2007 and July 2007. Perfect timing, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So And so I was working in... um, in a in a what's called para planning roles, managing a para planning team, who are the, the team that do the technical and documentation for financial advisors, and so all these people were all of a sudden seeing financial advisors going, "How do I get a million dollars into super?" And they're borrowing against other assets, and they're doing everything they could to get the money into super. And and the you know the business that um, that we saw was just just phenomenal. And then uh, you know twelve months later. 2008, you know, the share markets fell 20, 30, 40% um, in the GFC. And there was, and so this million dollars that people put into super very quickly became much less than a million dollars. And people were then panicking and withdrawing their money at the bottom of the market. So it was a a really valuable lesson in um, early in my career that, you know, just because there's a tax reason to do something 
it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do if it's not within your you know risk appetite and really um, you have to be able to weather those downs as well yeah that's right that's yeah. right and you know gfc's don't happen very often but they do happen we had it in 2008 we had the crash in 87 mm-hmm. um so you know there's they happen during you know and there's smaller smaller sort of corrections all the time 10 and 20 percent i think that, very, that's that's an important lesson though it's and especially for younger listeners when you look at a chart of, um, say, the ASX 200 over a long enough period, that uh, period in 2008, 2009 is a minor blip, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, all those losses have long been recovered and with the uh, dividends that have come with them, it's uh, anyone who, who stayed in is, is well, well in front now. But the worst thing you could do was pull your money out at the bottom, which is what a lot of people did, and those people are never going to recover those losses. So, so yeah, that was um, the start of my career. Fast forward a number of years, and I've, in about 2015, started seeing ETFs become you know a little bit more popular. I think in in that year in 2015, the the ETF market doubled from 10 billion of total assets in Australia to 20, um, and the products pretty much doubled as well i think they went from about 60 to 100 products on the market so kind of got i got quite interested in etfs and what was out there and tried to find what was available um and what different kind of asset classes and different types of etfs and all i could find was a a pdf that you could download off the asx website um oh they're always useful aren't they? yeah yeah so, <laughs> they always explain everything so couldn't do a lot with that like i couldn't sort it or filter it or or, or do a lot so, so is, is this was an explanation of etfs was no, it? this was just a list of all the etfs available yeah um so it's just this big pdf that was basically a, a excel spreadsheet that had been turned into a into a pdf document saying here's all this here's all the etfs here's their fees and and couldn't find a lot else written about them really, other than the odd media article that said that there was a new ETF launching or something. So I came up with the idea for ETF Watch at that point. Can I just interrupt for a sec there because it's amazing how new these products are. The the idea of an ETF. I mean, a year ago I didn't even know what an ETF was. I'm just ashamed to say. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is new for a lot of investors, isn't it? Yeah, Which is well, why we're investigating this. Yeah, today. well, like I said, they went from ten to twenty billion in that year. Now, four years later, they're at sixty, and they're growing by thirty percent every year. So you know. Within a couple of years, they'll be at 100 billion, and, and you know they're, they're growing so rapidly because there's a, you know, the, and we'll we'll get to it later. But there's just um, a lot of such great features in them that weren't available to retail investors just a few years ago. Mm. So we launched the site, and it, it's got a, a database allowing you to search um, and find the ETFs that meet your needs, whatever that may be. And then, and then we write a lot of content about what's happening in the ETF and, and LIC market. So the other important fact is that we cover both ETFs and LICs. LICs are listed investment companies, which are both very similar and very different. Investing in shares can be fun, but the paperwork isn't. ShareSite solves this problem. It's an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSite are pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Two months free on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSite.com forward slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of two free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. It's helped me. That's sharesite.com forward slash shares for beginners. 
Okay, well, let's uh, go with our simple one-minute explanations, <laughs> because as we were ch- just chatting before about uh, trying to explain ETFs and LICs simply for people who don't exactly know what they are. So what's your one-minute simplest explanation of an ETF? ETF, exchange-traded fund. So the exchange-traded part of that name means that you can buy and sell them on a stock exchange. Second part of the name, fund. Now, so they're a a pool of assets that are structured into a a fund or a, a trust, and they could be a pool of any sort of asset. And so they might be a pool of shares, they might be a pool of cash, fixed interest, global shares, Asian shares focused in technology. There's a whole range of different assets they could hold. But what it means for investors is they can access a diversified portfolio of shares with a single trade. If you were to do that yourself without an ETF, you'd have to be making multiple trades to buy all of these different shares. And a lot of them aren't even available to us retail investors. And the simplest... um kind of ETF is what they call an index hugger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you can so, buy the top 200 stocks of the uh, the Australian share market with one trade. Yeah, that's right. And that's where they got really popular because um, you can access, yeah, like you say, the, the top 200 Australian stocks or the top 500 US stocks with that one trade at a very low cost. And so the, the ongoing cost is much lower than traditionally you would have paid for that sort of pool of assets. The other thing that they do, and if anyone had his, has ever invested in managed funds, they're very similar to managed funds. They're that, they share that same structure, except the managed funds not traded on the, on the ASX. If you've ever tried to buy a managed fund, there's reams of paperwork. There's, I don't know about you, but if you, know, if you ask me to fill out some paperwork and get a verified ID, then that's, mm-hmm. that's the step that I drop out of the process. <laughs> um, so it actually, you know, by, by able to, to go and just buy one in your brokerage account that you already have, um, it just makes it so much simpler. LICs, you one minute explanation of what an LIC is. Okay, so they share a lot of similarities with ETFs. In- Let's start with what LIC stands oh, for. LIC. <laughs> Sorry, LIC is a listed investment company. So they're listed um, on the stock exchange, just like an ETF. So, so you, you can buy and sell them buy, exactly like you can an ETF. Buy and sell exactly as you would a, an ETF. They also have a pool of uh, assets, underlying investments. So when you're buying an LIC, you're buying, you might be buying a pool of Australian shares. You might be buying um, fixed interest or, or international shares, depending on what that, what that manager is investing in. The difference is that an LRC is a company, and, and this is where things start getting a little bit technical. A company has a defined pool of shares available. So if you go and buy, if you go and buy CBA shares, you're buying an existing CBA share off someone else. That and that and that one share keeps getting recycled. Just like if you're going and buying a house, if you're buying an existing house, you're buying it off someone else. There's no new housing being created. And what that means is the actual share price of the listed investment company can actually differ to the value of what's of the underlying investments underneath it because its, it's uh, price is driven by supply and demand. So there's a certain amount of people prepared to sell at any one time. There's a certain amount of people prepared to buy and whatever the 
current share price is is the price that the sellers will sell it and the buyers will buy it. So, so what this means is for investors is, yeah, you need to be sort of a bit more careful when looking at LICs because you might be buying eighty cents worth of investments for a dollar, or you might be buying a dollar twenty's worth of investments for a dollar. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, so let's talk about Sarah's questions that sure. um, we discussed before. So she wrote into our listener survey page. And um, specifically, I'm just going to read them out as she, um, she wrote them. Is there a right time to invest with ETF specifically? I know with single stocks, we look at the investing when the price decreases and stabilizes before buying. Is this the same with an ETF? It's a good question. And I wish there was an easy answer. But unfortunately, there isn't. Like if we talk about firstly the the single stocks and and buying after the price has fallen and and stabilised, I think that would be a great thing to be able to do. But it's something you can really only do in hindsight. Um, So when it comes to ETFs, I think one of the things that you're getting with them is you're removing a lot of the volatility in the share prices because they are a pooled group of shares. So if you went and bought Afterpay shares, they've had an incredible few years but you know just in the last um, couple of weeks there's been a couple of um, investment houses who've said they're overvalued and then they you know they might go down 20 percent in a day and come back 10 percent the next day but that's a single share and a fairly risky share in that it's a it's a you know growing company whereas an etf if you're buying the asx 200 um you bought you're getting exposure to 200 shares there and the individual movements of a single company are only going to be a minor reflection in that ETF price. You're foregoing a huge amount of upside in you know picking the next afterpay, but you're gaining a diversified portfolio that's going to weather the, the ups and downs of individual companies a lot better. Okay, so Sarah's next question. I'm keen to get into the market now, but there's a lot of noise around possible recession, which would provide a good opportunity to buy into the market. Is it better just to get in and start or wait until this occurs? Is this speculation noise that I should be ignoring? And I'll just note here that Sarah is somewhere between 25 and 34 years of age. Yeah, so there is a lot of noise around at the moment, but go back every year for the last five, ten years, and there's always been something that's been creating noise. So I think it's, as an investor, you need to be be careful of that noise. And I, there's, a, there's a lot of active managers out there who are the, they're the, they're the fund managers who try to beat the market. And in about 2015, 2015, 2016, a lot of them started going overweight cash because they thought the market was overvalued. And, they, and so they've been sitting on extra cash during a period where the market's continued to to go up there's been brexit there's been trump there's been trade wars there's been all these things that have happened during that period and some of these sun managers are sitting there seriously underperforming because they've been waiting for the waiting for the crash to happen or waiting for the markets to come off so 
you need to be careful with that timing the market based on current events. But on the other side of that, you know, if I reflect back to that 2005 to 2007 period, going all in when, you know, markets have been doing pretty well for the last 10 years, that carries its own risk because the longer the markets continue to go up, the closer we get to to a fall. Now that might be next month, it might be in five years time, you, you just don't know. So I think one of the investing approaches you can take to mitigate any of that noise is like a principle called dollar cost averaging where you drip your money in over time, ignore what's happening that day, ignore the share price, just sort of go on the first of the month or the first of the quarter or whatever date you know, you know, is a memorable date to you, you invest some money and you do that over time. And that allows you to, you know, you'll be buying more shares when markets are down. You'll be buying less shares when markets are up, but you're getting the benefit of, of it sort of evens itself out. Yeah. So just tell me what it's, was it like for you doing ETF watch? I mean, how do you feel about it? It's been really exciting because it's just been this period where where ETFs have just exploded in popularity. And when I launched the site, I didn't think I didn't think it had happened so quick. But you know, I've got friends who aren't in, aren't in and around the finance and wealth management world who now talk about ETFs and and are investing in ETFs. And so it's been great seeing that. And you know, I think when I launched the site, there was about ninety or a hundred ETF products available. There's now two hundred. So there's twice as many products available, some really interesting ones. So it's just, yeah, really exciting. And, and the, the best thing about it is it's putting the power back in the investors' hands. You know, not long ago, you know, you needed to involve financial advisors to in, invest in a lot of these products. They're now available for a well-informed individual investor to go and invest in themselves. So it's been great um, to be a part of that and to be, be helping people you know, make the right investing choices. So yeah, it's been really great. How much um, time does it take? How much work have you put into it? Um, it, it varies. Um, <laughs> depends on how much uh, content I'm writing. That's obviously that's where the most of the work goes in writing content. Mm-hmm. Um, we we replatformed the site earlier in the year, which which took a lot longer than than we hoped. And there's still a few little bugs that we're trying to sort of iron out. We're not a news site. We're not putting daily news out. We're not putting clickbaity articles either um we're trying to write content that's meaningful that lasts the test of time our motto is you know less is more so it's a, you want to make a solid resource is it? Yeah, yeah yeah a solid resource that you know i want to write content that's just as relevant in three years time as it is today um and so so yeah you, you're not seeing a new post every second day but you know we, we try to write a, a new post every fortnight or so and and, and have them really meaningful so sarah was asking about emerging markets how would um someone use an etf to access emerging markets yeah so there's a bunch of emerging market etfs available now you can go to etf watch and go to our um, fund search and one of the um search criteria you can you can use these emerging markets and that'll show you all the ETFs available. From memory, there's about ha- half a dozen or more that focus in, in on that. They all have subtle differences. You know, some emerging market indexes include China. Others don't include China now. 
there's some that are more skewed to the Asian region and there's some that are more kind of the whole whole of world. So yeah, there's there's a bunch available. So I recommend just having a look and um and working out which kind of which sort of emerging market ETF works best for for you. So so an ETF if uh, we're talking about say an emerging market ETF or a I think they're called thematic ETFs. They're all based on an index and someone is researching and publishing that index. Is that how it works? Yeah. So, um, Have we be... got an example maybe that we can talk about that illustrates this? Yes. Yeah, so, they're, so they're passive ETFs, like we talked about, like the ASX 200, where they just follow the broad um, index. They're, they're based on what's called market capitalization. So they're, they're investing as per company size. You know, the ASX 200 is CBA occupies about 10% of that index. It's the largest company in Australia at the moment, and it occupies about 10% of that index due to its size. It's worth, I don't know, $150 billion or something. And so when you're buying an ASX 200 ETF, you're buying 10% of, of CBA. And so that index methodology will sit behind that, and there's an index provider, for example, um, Standard & Poor's, S&P who would who create that index methodology and there's actually some more rules behind it it's not just the largest 200 Australian companies that it's also looks at their liquidity and it excludes certain companies like it excludes um, investment companies it excludes LICs from that making up that index whilst they sound very simple there's actually a few rules underneath them then when you get into the thematic ETFs or uh, smart beta or strategic beta They've got a few different names. That's where they throw out these market capitalization weighting and they come up with their own rules. Those rules depends on what that what that index is sort of focused on. And, and a good example is there's an ETF called Tech, T-E-C-H, which is the ETF Securities uh, Global Technology ETF. And they have rules in that ETF about um, country exposure, so so they're obviously focused on technology companies, but they don't want to be fully exposed to the US where most of the big technology companies come out of. So they put caps on how much they can invest in the US. And they also have rules about how they determine what a technology company is. And so that ETF excludes some companies that, that you or I might think are technology companies. For example, Amazon. Amazon's not included in that index because based on their rules, it's a consumer discretionary or a retail retailer rather than a technology company so their their index methodology explains all of this and explains what constitutes a technology etf it puts caps on how much can invest be invested in a single company i think it has a four percent or a five percent um, cap per company so it can't be 20 percent facebook and you know 15 percent apple it's puts caps on so someone or a group of people have created these rules that that etf must follow mm. and so those smart beta etfs all have a, have a bunch of these rules in place to, to keep that in line with with its whatever its index is yeah so if you're looking at look at uh, investing in one of these kind of um, etfs the etf provider will let you know what index it is um, following yeah so there's an index that, 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 for example, that tech ETF follows. I can't by the, off the top of my head remember what the index na- name mm-hmm. is. So there's a bunch of index providers like S&P, mm-hmm. Solactive is another one. 
there's a whole heap of them around most of them us companies who create these indexes yeah um and so that etf provider will say this this tracks the xyz index Mm -hmm. and you can go and google that xyz index and go and read more information about it some of these etfs are created with one eye on marketing they're looking for sexy words aren't they yeah um yeah, and that, that's one thing you got to be careful about with the smart beta is, A, marketing, um, and that's why we've seen a lot of tech ones because tech's been really popular. And and the other thing is they're often created chasing like last year's winner. And so, you know, if a sector's done really well, you tend to see an ETF come out not long later. Um, and then they were able to promote that, that, you know, that has done you know 20 percent for the last three years yeah last year's winner is not necessarily next year's winner mm. and so that's where you need to be careful to not um, buy into the hype of what was what's been a really strong performer and may not be a strong performer in the future and the other the other thing with a lot of these ones like like the robotics and artificial intelligence is it's actually really hard to find companies that focus just on that and so what and so when they create these indexes that they follow they have to put these rules in place that they you know x percent of of that business activity is is you know robotics for example but you might be buying companies that their core business is something else and there's a small part of them that that does robotics for example so you know it may not be true to label that Mm. you know you're getting robotics exposure you might be getting exposure to other other sort of companies that you know have a bit of robotics happening yeah no this is an interesting uh, aspect to it isn't it because um etfs are marketed as being hands-off you know you're, you're tracking an index you don't have to think about it whereas it is still sometimes worthwhile researching that index to see how they are defining stocks within that particular theme yeah absolutely and you know you know is is that are those stocks giving you what you really what you're really expecting mm. the robotics ones you might end up with a bunch of computer chip uh, manufacturers yeah um who you know are doing ai but but their core business is selling computer mm. chips to to put in laptops or yeah ipads and um or they can be agricultural companies as well that happen to use robotics in their packing facilities yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you definitely need to um, do research when it comes to getting to those more niche-type exposures. Yeah, yeah. Michael Burry recently has come out and says that he sees a bubble in passive investing. Now, people might might know Michael Burry, but if they've seen the movie The Big Short, it's the um, Christian Bale character, isn't it, in yeah. uh, The Big Short, yeah. who foresaw what it's was going movie. to happen. Oh, it's a fantastic yeah. movie, isn't it? Really yeah, highly it recommended. If you, it's on Netflix as well, so very easy to easy to find. Anyway, Michael Burry seems to think there's a bubble in ETFs in passive investing. What's your reaction to uh, this guru? Yeah, so there's been a little bit of noise around that. Um, firstly, I I think the media um, has kind of sensationalised a lot of what he's said in particular in calling it a bubble because it, it, what he's saying doesn't meet the definition of a bubble bubbles are where there's you know some kind of asset just gets this mania around it and it's this greater fool theory of if i buy today there'll be someone who's a greater fool tomorrow to buy it off me it's actually a great book called um extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds mm-hmm. that's um it was written in the mid 1800s it's a little bit of a difficult read because it's a little bit ye olde english but um 
it talks a lot about the bubbles in in history and they all follow the exact same path and it's um it's really quite fascinating probably the most recent one we saw was bitcoin but what what he's saying is people blindly buying into etfs are pushing up prices of larger companies more than smaller companies because they tend to be focused on the larger companies so if you know, in Australia, our biggest ETFs are the ones that follow the ASX 200, which are the largest companies in Australia. And so the theory is if pe- if that's all people are investing in, then those, those 200 companies' prices will be pushed up because there's more demand for their shares just because people are buying ETFs. And it means that the smaller end of the market gets left behind. So he's not so much calling it a bubble. He's just saying that it's distorting one part of the market over another. But there's always active managers out there looking to take advantage of mispricing. There's a huge funds management industry of highly paid, very intelligent people who are looking for those opportunities. With incredible tools at their disposal yeah. to, to so, find these uh, price mismatches. Yeah, so they're always out there bringing the market back into alignment. And the other thing is that a lot of these big fund managers have mandates to invest in you know, a high percentage of the market anyway. So, if, you know, for example, a large company fund manager, they might have to invest 90% in, you know, the ASX 200. And so they've been doing that anyway since the dawn of funds management. And they're still buying, like if, if they have money coming in the door, they've got to invest it. And they might not be investing as per the index, like they might not be putting 10% in CBA, but they'll be putting 8% in CBA or 12% in CBA and sort of tinkering around the edges. So the money's always been going in anyway. And now it's just you know, the growth of index investings just just sort of put it in more exactly along the lines of, of the size of the, of the makeup of the share market rather than the tinkering around the edges. So I don't like it's definitely not a bubble. I think that's sensationalizing. And, and even this theory that it's, pushing up the large company prices i think i think we're a long way away from that becoming a reality when when there's so many so many people out there ready to take advantage of any mispricing yeah and you'd, you'd have to assume the, the the vast weight of money that's in the superannuation industry would be a far bigger distortion than people putting money in ETFs. yeah that's right i think the superannuation industry is three trillion yeah now and you know probably two trillion of that's invested in the share market and you know nine and a half percent of people's wages are going in there every every week yeah um and it's just growing and it's got to go somewhere yes and yeah, there's no returns so, anywhere else yeah yeah so that the argument sort of falls over there mm. do you have any kids by the way yeah i do i've got two kids yeah yeah how um how invested are they yeah, I've got some, I've got some um, I've actually invested in products called investment bonds for them, which are um, quite a simple product, but a bit complex in trying to explain. But um, they're good. They're like a good they're tax for, effective, tax they? effective for yeah. kids. So I can um, you know put a bit of money in every birthday for them and mm-hmm. um, let that grow. They're in index options though, so they're just sitting sitting in Australian and international share index options. Yeah. Um, so hopefully when they're kind of 25, there's a nice house deposit there for them or something. And then, you know, they're a bit young to actually learn about investing, but definitely once they're old enough, we'll be teaching them the basics. Yeah. No, great to have a parent like that. Yeah. <laughs> Before we close off, ETF Watch. Okay. Tell us a bit more about ETF Watch and uh, where we can find it and um, what people would will get out of it. 
Yeah, so etfwatch.com.au. I've talked about the fund finder. So you can go to that and search for the, all the funds available um, on the ASX. Um, we've got a blog that's on the homepage. We follow all the, new, the news that's happening around the ETF and LIC market as well. Um, there's a bunch of educational resources in there that, are, that sort of help with the basics of ETFs and LICs. Um, and we have a mailing list that you can sign up to. We tend to just send a monthly uh, email to the mailing list, letting them know what's sort of hap- what's happened in the last month and what what new blogs that we have. So, well worth signing up to that. So yeah, just etfwatch.com.au, and you know if you want to get in contact, um, there's a contact form there. And uh, you're not aligned, aren't you? Absolutely, hundred percent independent. So privately owned. You know we do do advertising with with a number of players in the industry but that's uh, fully disclosed so yeah 100% non-aligned and and will always be that way so that's great it was great great to have you on because I wanted to find someone who was independent to talk about ETFs because I can talk (laughs) there's so many people in the ETF industry I can talk to but it's great to find someone who's independent as well Steve thank you very much for coming on thank you great to be here and thanks for those questions Sarah Um, it was great to answer them and I hope they helped but uh, if you want to find out more please go to ETF Watch Fantastic. Cool. (laughs) Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 